Project at www.mormonwomen.com. Welcome back to the Mormon Women Project. This is Meredith Nelson. Throughout the month of November, we've been publishing daily stories from Mormon women as part of our End of the Childbearing Years series. We are examining a life transition every woman encounters, the moment she knows that she will bear no children in the future. If you haven't explored the series, you'll find it currently accessible from the homepage of our website at mormonwomen.com. You'll find stories about large families, small families, single or childless women, physical and mental challenges, the influence of husbands or older children, miscarriage and infertility, divorce and loss, joy and relief, revelation and agency, confusion and contentment. The inspiration for this series came to a reader named Heather. I asked her if she would share her own story with us, and I interview her in this episode. Heather grew up in a large family in the 1970s and 80s in Salt Lake County, Utah. She talks about some of the messages she absorbed as a young person about family size and womanhood, and discusses how her ensuing journey refined her own understanding of both questions, and also what it taught her about agency, marriage, motherhood, and personal revelation. Heather, thanks so much for joining me and sharing your story with us today. Let's talk first about your childhood. You grew up in a large family of, was it nine children? Yes, nine. So where do you fall in the family? I am the third of the nine children. Third. Okay, so I'm the fifth of ten. So we oh, have that in common. Um, but I'm going to ask you, because I'm sure our experiences were different, what was it like for you to grow up in, a, in such a large family? Um, you know, where I grew up, there were actually multiple families that had seven to 10 children. So while we may have been a little unusual, I wouldn't have considered us rare. And, you know, there's pluses and minus to different family configurations. I think my favorite part was having lots of siblings and getting to play mommy with the younger ones. I really loved that. Um, our research resources were stretched pretty thin, but my parents were frugal and they were hard workers and they pulled it off. And I guess there were some unmet needs on my part, some emotional needs, but no child has, is perfect. And yeah, I love my family. Did your parents ever talk to you when you were younger or as an adult about their choice to have a large family? Yes, somewhat. Um, my dad's patriarchal blessing said he would have a quiver full of children which references Psalms 127.3, I think it is. And I looked it up once and a quiver traditionally held eight arrows. So the fact that my dad had nine children, he really outdid himself. And then my mom, my mom would say that she knew from a really young age that she wanted a large family. And I kind of suspect it has something to do with her being the 10th of 10 children herself. She never got um, anyone to babysit growing up, <laughs> so she wanted to make up for that. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so what were the messages, whether or not you feel today that they were true, what were the messages that you absorbed growing up about family size? I had some time to think about that as an adult, kind of looking back and and trying to figure out where my messaging had come from. I think the primary authoritative voices in my young life were my mother and the church. And so 
I'll tell you some of these messages, they might trigger some varying responses in your listeners and readers, but they do reflect the ideas that I was absorbing as a girl, regardless of how they were intended. This is kind of what I was absorbing. Um, the first would be the idea that a woman's worth and purpose is in childbearing. Um, marriage is for bearing and rearing children. Another one is it is unrighteous to delay children after marriage, or it is selfish to have fewer children than you're physically capable of having. Uh, another one was that certain spirits were assigned to you premortally, and if you don't get them all here, you'll be breaking a covenant. Another one was women should graduate from college so they can be better mothers. And I once even heard my mom say to a friend, I have nine children and I expect to have 81 grandchildren. And I suppose now that she was joking, but still it left an impression. So those are the some of the messages I was collecting as a, a child and as a young woman. So those are messages that you heard at church in young yes. lessons or from other ward members? Um, when I say church, it's just kind of, I couldn't point to a particular lesson or a particular talk. It just kind of church and the, my teachings at home kind of all blended together. But I, I do think some of it came over the pulpit. Yeah. So I want to hear more about that in a minute, but first let's go back to your story and tell me about how you met and married your husband. We met while I was a sophomore and he was a senior at BYU and we married the following summer. And then after that, he attended graduate school at, also at BYU while I finished up my bachelor's degree. What were your conversations like about, I mean, how many, how many kids were in his family growing up, first of all? There were three in his family. He was the youngest of the three. Okay. So what were your conversations like about family size then? You came from pretty, pretty different families. Yeah, we did. I mean, we were both third children, but his third child experience was quite a bit different than mine. I think we both intuitively sensed that we would try for more than three, but probably fewer than nine, and that we would make those decisions prayerfully. We didn't settle on a number or anything like that. We just were going to let things unfold a bit. We were unified in wanting to provide a happy, safe, gospel-centered home where we could have good quality relationships with each of our children and where they could thrive emotionally and have opportunities for education, developing talents. We talked about those things quite a bit and kind of had a shared vision. Looking back on how many good people we've known who have struggled with infertility, I kind of marvel now at some of our young confidence that we just assumed we could, you know, pull this off. Mm -hmm. um, since I was going to school at the time when we were first married and I was also working and he was in grad school, we agreed that we would delay children until after I had graduated because I had two years left. So that's kind of where how we started out. It's funny. You talk about that naivety of just yeah. assuming you could choose. Just assuming um, somewhere between three and nine would just work out, you know? <laughs> just the other day, my five-year-old and I were sitting at lunch and um, and I, you know, and, and I've been thinking about, you know, how many am I going to have? Do I have another child waiting to come or am I done or, or is there more than one, you know, that I, that I am yet to welcome into our family? Uh -huh. Um, and I asked him, you know, how would you feel if it was just you and your sister and, and we didn't have any more kids or how would you feel if we had one more? And he 
his eyes kind of popped open and he said, you mean you can choose? You, you mean you can choose when it, if you have another baby or not, or how many you have? And I thought, oh, I'm not sure I'm ready for this conversation. But, um, but you know, the fact is, you know, my eyes have kind of popped open in the last couple of years the same way. Like, you know, actually, you can't. <laughs> you can't really choose because yeah. um, there, there are so many influencing factors yeah. physically and socially and, and um, mentally that you know, that affect our ability to have, to choose, you know, right, how many children right. we'll have and when they'll come. But And once those sweet little kids realize that you've got options, boy, there can be some pressure there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I know. He said he wants a dozen, so. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> He's put in his order. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So then how did your life change? And how did you change? And how did your marriage change when your children started coming? Well, when our first child was born, pretty much on schedule, I have to say, mm -hmm. um, so far so good. I was working for a biotech startup company in Salt Lake, and I really enjoyed what I was doing, but I did cut my work hours in half while trying to keep the same responsibilities, and that was very challenging. Uh, I felt divided. I was totally in love with my little boy, and there was this invisible thread connecting our hearts. And whenever I was away, it was just tugging on me. Mm -hmm. So when I became pregnant with my second child, and at that point, my company really needed me working more hours, not less. I chose to quit my job and move into full-time mother mode. And I felt relief that I no longer had to feel divided. And I felt really lucky that my husband could now fully support us financially because I know, I know that's a privilege. Then I, a couple of years later, had a little boy who was a preemie. He was 14 weeks early. Wow. And that was a little bit dramatic in our lives. He is a, a miracle and a story in himself. <laughs> and then two years later, almost to the day, we had another little boy. So we had four children in six and a half years. And we felt very blessed very blessed. Were there any complications with that fourth pregnancy? No, it was such a relief because we did feel some trepidation after the preemie wondering, you know, is this mm -hmm. what we're going to be up for again? But no, it was pretty flawless pregnancy and delivery. And that was a huge relief. So after your first four children, you waited to get pregnant again due to both physical and mental health concerns. And I'm wondering if you'd like to talk about that. Yeah, I can talk about it a little bit. Um, you know, I was thinking about this in the world of engineering, you test for structural weakness by applying pressure or stress. And it turns out that having four children in six years, at least for me, had created some stress, even though I was having a great time. Um, I found the work rewarding, but also demanding and stretching. And that stretching started to reveal some weakness and blind spots for a parent like me. I was kind of an idealist. You know, I wanted to do it all, maybe a little too much. And uh, while I definitely didn't have a feeling of closure after my fourth child, I also wasn't seeing how I could have another child right away. Um, I had a bacterial infection that lasted two years. 
my hormones started to get a little out of whack. And so when it came to the question of whether and when to have another child, I felt kind of stuck, like a definite stupor of thought. And at that point, um, some of that imprinting from my childhood started to crop up. My mother had had children every two to three years. That was just kind of the pattern that had imprinted on me. And so in this kind of stuck state, once that two to three year time span had come and gone, I started feeling some anxiety about this gap in our family. And every passing month kind of exacerbated that feeling. And I just kind of was waiting for God to step in and solve it for me because after all, wasn't this the question that he most cared about, you know, my family and and uh, turns out he was letting me struggle so I could learn some big lessons. But um, then there were a few other stressors besides this gap, just children getting older and parenting becomes a little more complex and they were requiring a lot of guidance. And so all that anxiety um, kind of led to some obsession about the problem and that led to a little bit of depression, neither of which I understood at the time because I came from a pioneer sort of just get over it kind of upbringing. And so I was just kind of shouldering through the best I could, not really realizing why I was feeling so stuck in this decision. What are the lessons that you feel you were learning during that time? <laughs> a lot of them I was learning in retrospect. So I was kind of getting more and more stuck and more and more desperate for an answer of what am I supposed to do? And when I got sufficiently humbled that that stuckness was not going away, I started realizing there's something wrong with the way I'm approaching all of this because I'm, I'm not feeling good. I'm not moving through it. And so I had to start looking at just sort of some of my paradigms. Um, and I had to start realizing that I was someone who needed to be taken care of too. I needed to practice some self-care. I needed to learn more about health and the interplay between physical and mental and emotional health. And yeah, just a big process of discovery. But it took a while for me to stop and say, I've got something to learn here and I can't keep waiting for God to step in and say, you shall do this. <laughs> mm -hmm. Can I ask what solutions I mean, if, if at that time you came up with solutions or coping mechanisms, you know, as you realize you needed to start thinking more about your, your health and taking care of your mental health as well as your physical health, you know, what did you come up with? Well, I started realizing that there were, that we weren't placed on this planet alone to figure everything out for ourselves. <laughs> I started realizing that there were people out there who had answers to things. So I, you know, I went to some different doctors to figure out what in the world hormones were about. <laughs> um, met with a great counselor that kind of informed me that some of my thinking was causing some of my problems. <laughs> I need to maybe let go of a few more things and, um, and just exercise and great nutrition and all those things that I thought, well, you know, I'll get to that when it's convenient. Right now I'm focusing on my family. Well, as it turns out, I needed to be focusing on me too. So while you were dealing with all this um, deliberation over whether or not and when to have another child, what did your husband feel and what were your communications with him like about this? 
he was always really loving and supportive and respectful of my health and my desires. He personally, I think, could have felt peace and closure with four children since he wasn't burdened by any of that messaging that I had from my own youth. But he also welcomed the idea of having another child. He's a great daddy and loved his kids. And so we communicated openly and often about it. But in the end, he felt that I should be the one to make the decision since it would have the greatest impact on me. Was he aware of how much it was affecting you? Yes and no. I mean, we talked about enough that he was aware, but obviously he wasn't worried about that all during the day while he was at work and I was at home thinking, what do I do? (laughs) Then how did you know when it was time? I think I finally just realized that indecision was kind of a de facto decision. So I got brave and stepped out of my analysis paralysis long enough to muster some courage. And I just took a leap of faith and said, okay, let's just try. Which seems so simple, but it took a long time to get to that. (laughs) Okay, let's just try point. (laughs) Yeah. So you became pregnant, but you experienced a miscarriage uh, at 16 weeks. So after, you know, dealing with all of that emotional roller coaster of should we try, should we not? And then finally just taking that leap of faith and then losing that baby. I, I want to know what, you know, what were your conversations like with God during that time? <laughs> yeah, the conversation is a good word for it. So, yeah, I did become pregnant immediately. I thought that was kind of telling. I'm like, oh, okay, okay, I got it. Um, <laughs> and then I was really sick that entire 16 weeks, which is not characteristic for me, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and the miscarriage was fairly dramatic and I mourned and I wondered, well, what in the world is God telling me? Is this yes? Is this no? Is this not yet? I'm confused. And so my prayers were from a place of really deep need and humility at that point. I was learning firsthand that righteous desires and even righteous actions don't necessarily spare a person from suffering. (laughs) doesn't work that way always. And you know, a few months later, I was inspired reading the story in Ether about the brother of Jared carrying his 16 stones to the mountain. That was his proposal for lighting the barges. I needed light. And so I decided to carry my own 16 stones to the mountain. I went to the temple and I told God that I would try to get pregnant for three months. And that after that, I had to move on for the sake of my health, which again, had suffered with that miscarriage and for the sake of the rest of my family. Um, But it wasn't really like laying 16 stones on an altar. It felt a little more like laying myself on the altar. Um, But I got pregnant the third month of that three-month window. And I quickly sought out a perinatologist who put me on some hormone treatments. And we ended up with a beautiful baby girl who is almost eight years younger than her next closest sibling. And she has blessed our lives for 10 years now. She has some of the advantages of an only child and some of the advantages of being raised in a pack. And we have had a wonderful journey of learning together. As you've observed your children, you know, over the last 10 years, what, what has that eight year gap been like for them? It's just been fascinating to watch. Um, When she was born, she became kind of the family mascot. I mean, 
<laughs> everyone was just so enamored by her and um yeah just such a delight and she having six grown-ups practically i mean big people anyway to her taking care of her her whole life she's just a very mature young lady and it's been really good for us it's provided a just a different perspective than we would have had otherwise and certainly nothing i would have ever planned but maybe that's part of the beauty of it. <laughs> I mean, I planned to have her, but the eight-year gap would not right. have been planned. <laughs> right, right. Through that process of, of having your daughter, your last daughter, did you feel yourself resolving some of the anxiety and the fear that you had had during the years previous? Did you, did you come to a place of peace? Yes. I mean, regarding, you know, courageously going ahead and having that last child. Yes, I definitely did. Um, soon as she was in our lives, it was just, well, you know how it is with children. And once they're there, you're thinking, well, how did we ever <laughs> do without you? I don't. So yes, definitely peace. But, you know, there's still some time to kind of rebuild health after several years of struggle and, and just keep working at it. And she was such a wonderful motivator for me because I had this little girl and I thought, we're going to just be happy together. <laughs> and I need to kind of get in a really healthy place so I can be a really healthy mom for these kids. What role did your faith in Christ play in your in this whole journey for you, your whole childbearing journey? You know, I really had to tap into the atonement during this time, for sure. I studied and thought often of the healing, sustaining, compensating, illuminating grace that's promised from the atonement. So in my prayers, I regularly called for God to apply this power in my life. And I had believed in Christ from the time I was a little child. But now when I sing, I know that my Redeemer lives, my mind typically goes to this episode in my life. It was a time when I felt very humbled and somewhat helpless. And I remember that he did not leave me alone in the dark. Um, I think all of my children are miracles in one way or another. And I have felt his watchful care over each one of us. And, you know, if God had not had chosen not to send me that fifth child, I feel like the but if not principle would apply. I would still have faith that God loved me and had a plan for me. Mm -hmm. Do you feel your family's complete? Did you feel a sense of completion after she was born? You know, I did not immediately because I still kind of was thinking in terms of those patterns from growing up, like, oh, then maybe we need one more that will be, you know, two years apart from her so she can have a little buddy. I kind of was thinking along those lines and and so still not sure. And my good and wise husband at that point <laughs> stepped in and said, no, <laughs> no, this is good. This is enough. And this, this will be wonderful because she will bond with all these older kids and, and let's move on. And I was proud of him for being the real clear thinker in that situation. <laughs> did you come to terms with that yourself? I did. I did. It, took a little time, but I did. And when I think on it now, I think, wow, you know, that was great. It, it was just, it feels good now. So yes, I do have closure. It just took a little bit of time. 
So circling back, I'm curious, you know, after all of these experiences that you've had and that I'm sure your sisters and other women in your circle have had journeying through the childbearing years, how do you feel today about the messages you talked about that you absorbed growing up regarding family size and obligations um, and privileges associated with bearing children? Well, I've had lots of reason and to think about those things. And I obviously value children, um, but I have moved away from thinking of things in kind of narrow dogmatic terms because they tend to shrink my capacity to appreciate the complexity and the variety of people's lives, including my own. And so in answer to my earlier programming, I have sort of a new improved set of beliefs, I'll call them regarding these things. The first one would be that I believe a woman's worth lies in the very fact of her being a daughter of heavenly parents and that her purpose is to have joy and to grow into a fully developed divine being. I think motherhood can be a source of significant joy and growth and it can give a woman insight regarding our heavenly mother. Um, I also believe that marriage is for the health and happiness and progress of the marriage partners and for the bearing and rearing of children when possible. My life has been richly blessed by the gift of five children, and I hope that all of my children will have the opportunity to experience marriage and parenthood, whether that's in this life or the next. Regardless, though, each of my children is a whole person of infinite worth in her or his own right. Um, another belief I have is that a family is a sacred responsibility and it's worthy of one's best efforts. And I think family planning is between the wife and the husband and it's best done with the guidance of the spirit. And families come in various sizes and various sibling patterns and that's okay. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, also in the process of creating a family, I now believe that the parents' mental and emotional and physical health, their personal strengths and weaknesses, their individual goals and interests, and their financial circumstances are legitimate factors for consideration. I think faith and sacrifice are required in rearing families, just as they are in most any worthwhile endeavor. Um, and I feel like I am accountable for covenants I'm aware of having made. I believe our heavenly parents are keenly interested in our family groupings and they'll provide personal revelation on that topic when it's for our best good. I also believe that they're advocates of agency and that they're prepared with multiple backup plans in order to achieve their work and their glory. So my job then is to act in wisdom and in faith. Um, and then lastly, I, I do believe that women should be encouraged to graduate from college, but I believe it's so they can have opportunities for personal development and fulfillment and so they can make greater contributions to their families, to their workplaces, to their communities, and to the whole world. So that's kind of my, my new view on things, my expanded adult view. <laughs> Do you feel like those are messages that you are hearing around you in your family and church as well these days, or, or have you just come to those messages yourself in consultation with the Spirit? 
Um, I don't hear a lot at church these days. Other than, of course, we value families. I don't hear a lot of that kind of messaging. And I, I think it's just because the church guidelines as a whole have shifted somewhat to considering that a private matter. I don't know that it was so much that way when I was younger. So yeah, I've done a lot of my own thinking and praying and exploring and reading to sort of come up with those. Mm -hmm. And they're working for me. And they're ones that I would feel comfortable instilling in my own children. Mm -hmm. But I wonder if we have evolved, you know, as a church and as a people in, in just the way we discuss these issues, kind of along the same path that you've personally evolved on, just because I do think that there is a lot more discussion of agency and, you know, the official church statements about family size and birth control make it a very private matter and say it's between, you know, a married couple and the Lord. And because it's considered a private matter, that also can make it feel private as far as discussing it goes, which I think is part of the value of this project you're doing is that I think it's okay for we as women to share some of those experiences so we don't feel completely isolated. When you were making these big decisions and contemplating the end of your childbearing years, did you have a community? Did you have role models? Did you have people to look to? I did have one really significant conversation with a friend when I, when I did end up pregnant with um, my little girl and was kind of in that, oh my goodness, here I go. I can't believe I'm about to have a child eight years later. Uh-huh. I had this epiphany. I realized, wait a minute, my best friend in middle school was that child. She was the fifth child. Her next closest sibling was eight years older. There were four older than her, and I had forgotten we'd lost track of each other. So I tracked her down and called her and said, hey, this is your life. What <laughs> what was it like? Tell me. Like, I mean, obviously, I'm seeking reassurance, but still, uh-huh. you know, and it was extremely reassuring. She was just one of the most well-adjusted, intelligent, talented, happy people I had known, and she was thrilled for me and thrilled for our little girl. And it did have a significant impact for me. So I was glad she shared. Well, Heather, thank you so much for sharing your story. You know, we don't hear about these things very much. And I know it's really vulnerable (laughs) to share these stories. So I really appreciate you taking the time. You're welcome. Thanks for doing this project. If you enjoy this podcast and the hundreds of interviews with modern Mormon women in our online library, please share with your friends and consider making a tax-deductible donation at www.mormonwomen.com to help us fund interview transcription and website support.